Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. You're grinning at me. (laughs) I'm grinning at you because I can just see how this intro is going to go it's just so surreal isn't it like, so we're sat in the studio currently in our podcast studio which is attached to our our studio where we do all the work for all over media and graffiti life and everywhere is deserted you look out the window there's no one in the streets and there's been no artists in our studio for the past what five days yeah so it's um yeah thursday now i'm recording this so yes yeah, since this week i suppose yeah we've had no one in except for uh, two members of staff working on a couple of different things and then we sent them home so it's very very surreal and we were just sort of yeah discussing that this might be the last time that we ever use this studio yeah. because we don't know what's happening to this building it might get knocked down so it's all very very weird yeah like um i've just got back from three weeks in new zealand to kind of come into all of this chaos that is the world currently yeah and i've been on a boat in holland yeah literally so the small town that we were in we were so isolated and all of the i think when you go into the supermarkets it's such a sobering thing because you see those empty shelves and in holland it was not like that Mm. That, so i didn't get that sense of panic because i didn't understand the news because it was in dutch yeah and so other than what I was hearing from people back home, there was there was no sort of hysteria or anything in, yeah. in the Netherlands. But so. the closest we got to it in New Zealand, like whenever you turn the news on, there's always something about something in another country. It was never like where you were. Yeah. And you would never hear about what was happening in the UK. It would just be kind of Australia or kind of, oh, this is happening in Europe as a generic thing. And we're like being in a supermarket one time and there was this guy, obviously kind of have a bit of a Netflix and chill with his girlfriend. And they were like buying snacks and wine and stuff. And he was like, do you think we should buy some toilet roll? And she's like, no, why? We've got plenty. He's like, because just like everyone in all these other countries is buying loads. So maybe I should just buy some toilet Fuck, roll. That's, the exa- that's how it happens. Yeah. That's why we're, we're fucked when it comes exactly. to toilet roll. It's because crazy, everyone just gets scared. So yeah, toilet roll and um, tinned, tinned goods. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was so crazy to just come back into all of this madness, be really thrown in at the deep end and... I know there's two schools of thought on this. A lot of people want as much Corona news as they can get and they're watching the daily briefings and they're following hashtags on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. And there's the other people who are completely sick of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of understand both sides. So what we're going to try and do with the show over the next couple of weeks is be quite balanced. And we're going to try and we're going to talk about it because it's affecting all of our lives but we're not going to go overboard with it so yeah i think we're not medical professionals so we're not going to give you any advice or anything like that but a lot of people that we're talking to at the moment are freelancers are creatives working with no jobs coming and a lot of their jobs have been cancelled like we've had it with all of our businesses where the phones just stopped ringing and people have been like postponing things for another five six months and it's just a really uncertain time at the moment yeah we are definitely running around within our business it's it's why there's not been much content coming forward from creative rebels we haven't done any bonus episodes for a while and it's because we've literally been working on the business and then as soon as the corona stuff hit it's been okay let's 
let's put an action plan in place. So yeah, we're going to be working from our kitchen tables for the foreseeable future. The podcast will be continuing because we've worked out how to do that remotely. Yeah. This is weird because it's the last time we're doing a podcast intro together for however, however long it takes. I know, and it's weird because I haven't seen you for weeks anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's like come back to this. Like This is the first time we've sat down in this studio for... A month. So savour this moment, Adam. Yeah, I will. It's not going to last. <laughs> yeah, we've had quite a lot of messages from people who this is affecting. Like we said, it's massively affecting us. So we are all in this together. So I think now is the time to just try and support each other as much as we can. As always, our DMs are always open. As I say, we are kind of currently struggling to, to keep a business afloat. So we have set up a Patreon. Yes, we have set up a Patreon. And this time I think it's really important to support creatives that you enjoy their content from because they're probably suffering at the moment and it just it really helps yeah i, th- I think listening to amanda Palmer, like i wouldn't have have set one up if we hadn't had amanda palmer on the show yeah like she really took that whole she talks all, all about like the guilt of asking mm-hmm. and just made me realize that it is okay yeah we've had a lot of messages from people saying are oh, you on patreon yeah. i want to support the show so literally like four in the last couple of days have just yeah. messaged through and been like do you have a patreon because we want to support you so like thank you firstly yeah. like for for the people who have messaged that and for the people who do contribute it means a lot and it means that we can potentially keep this studio which would be amazing yeah that would be amazing so if you want to support this show you can find us on patreon uh, yeah if you go over to patreon and search for creative rebels or just go to patreon.com forward slash creative rebels i think if you are a creative and you're putting out stuff for people do consider um setting up your own patreon and and there are lots of other ways to support artists as well so yeah like if there's a creative who's got prints like buy a print like buy a mug buy anything that people are selling at the moment yeah because like people are really suffering out there yeah it's so important um and an itunes review is always helpful if there's a podcaster that you like um just take that 10 seconds i mean if you're quarantined you've got nothing to do take 10 seconds to write a, an iTunes review for those people because it it helps so much because you don't have to travel into work at the moment because you're isolated so spend that time you would spend traveling just spending a bit of joy like find creators you like go and leave them reviews go and give them a bit of positivity because they really need it at the moment so on that note I have seen a lot of people saying you know the thing about Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the quarantine of yeah. the Black Plague and then there's been a lot of creators like kind of hitting back against that and going, but it's okay to not do that. And you're stressed and we're all stressed. So let's just have some time off. I'm going to be controversial and say, I don't really agree with that. Like, yeah, take a day yeah. to go, oh shit, the world's going to shit. Oh, it's all rubbish. Yeah. For like, take some time to absorb what's happening. Don't yeah. just kind of ignore it. Like sit in it for a bit, sit in it, stew in it, realize what's happening. Yeah. Just go head on and just start creating. I think that's a really bad message to be sending to people is to, oh yeah, like, oh, we're all feeling bad. Let's all just sit and, and you don't have to create and just be lazy. Like if you're sitting at home right now and you're completely bored, do something. Yeah. It's good. Like entertain like, your brain. It's going to yeah, be so much better is for you. Good for your mental health. Like be creative. The thing we always talk about finding something you love and doing that, whether there's money or not. And I think now's the perfect time. There's not much money in it. So find something you love and just start doing that. Spend more time doing it because as soon as this is all over, you're going to be in a much better position, whether you've increased a skill, whether you're better at something now, whether you just kind of made connections online, you've made new friends. Even though you can't go meet people, like now's a great time to start a community, start like build, like everyone's in the same boat here. So really connect with people and make some friends and start creating things. I mean, it's a lot like Pokemon. 
if you're a Pokemon player, then currently now you need to start training your monsters. They're not ready for a battle yet, but so you need to just start churning, walking through the grass, encountering the wild Pokemon. So many people have just switched the podcast off yeah. now. But if you're still with us, um, that's what you need to do is just be getting ready for this isn't going to last forever, fingers crossed. Like we're going to come out the other side of this. And when we do, like, are you going to be ready for it? Or are you going to go, oh shit, I wish I'd spent that yeah. four months doing something more productive. Because it's like, especially if you're doing something now that you're not that passionate about and you're working from home, you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm just doing this, it's fine. It's yeah, like, we always talk about the big moment in people's yeah. lives, don't we, where like i mean talk about being made redundant i'm sure yeah. a lot of people have been made redundant over this so maybe this is going to usher in the new wave of yeah. creativity because we're already seeing how how the high street is changing and everything yeah and too, so many people say to us they don't have enough time to do it now you've got a shit ton of time so no excuses yeah no excuses like just start creating start doing stuff and when it comes out the other side of it you'll be in such a strong position that you can make it happen we're so fucking harsh aren't we we're like, like we're like yeah you've got some time so just fucking work through it yeah <laughs> like but like it's what but it's work it's working not working it's like it's yeah. that you're doing something that you love doing and if you dedicate enough time to it you just give yourself that time and you ha you've got it now so what i would say to people like i don't know what's going to happen in the world for the next four weeks or whatever but like start ordering some craft supplies start if you're thinking oh maybe i'll start doing some watercolors buy those watercolor things get them shipped over now whilst you can still get them because you don't want to be in a stage where you've got nothing but even then i mean i always tell a story about there's a graffiti artist that i know who was in prison and he all he could find was like all this old tub of felt pens mm. and they were all dried up and so the only way that he could get any color out of them was by smashing them into the paper so he started creating these beautiful like dots dot drawings by smashing the the felt pens down which created a whole new style to him like mm. so use whatever is at hand like have a look uh, like people do paintings with coffee yeah. have a look under the sink see what you've got under there like just be creative have a look around see what you can do <laughs> if you find any bleach into your sink don't start creating anything with that because that'll just cause chaos but you could you could bleach your clothes you could bleach bleach patterns into your clothes and you're hippie <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but just be creative. Do some stuff. It's now's the time. Now's the time. Creativity will save us. This is the time where, like, this is the time where we've got time. We've got the one thing that none of us ever have. Yeah. Is we've got some time. So for us, in order for us to keep saying it's going to be creating podcast content because that's what we love doing. We love making this show for you guys, um, and and we believe that our future is so much tied up in this podcast and this message. So for us, it's just about dedicating our time to that. But what's what's your calling? What is it that, that you sitting at home now, what is it that you could be creating or building? Or even if it's just like building up a portfolio that's ready to go once this once this has gone away? Uh, I think one thing we should touch on as well is the fact that there are people out there who are creatives now who aren't getting any work in and they're like wondering what the hell to do like i got a message earlier from someone who was in the photography scene all the jobs have stopped like what can yeah. i do yeah, yeah. um and i think a few things that i've kind of been looking through and like thinking about is just like how can you like what like what can you do to solve that even if it's just getting a little bit of money like how can you still get some jobs if you can't physically leave the house so i messaged someone earlier and saying like if you're a photographer for example what you could do is go through like contact all your old clients and go to them and be like, we did this job X amount of time ago. Would you like any more photos edited from that shoot that we did? Because it's like they'll have used all the ones they had before. Maybe there's a couple more now that 
they need for content. Like if you're a videographer and you've done some video work for someone, maybe go to the people, go back to those people and be like, would you like us to create some like shorter ones for your stories or for TikTok or for a different place? Like yeah. how can you repurpose that? Because a lot of people now won't be going ahead with certain projects. So they've got a bit of budget to spend on stuff. So if you can go to them and say, like, look, here's some content that I can make for you because they can't come shoot new stuff. They can't get new stuff because no one's allowed out. So if you can go to them with pre stuff you've done previously and then reformat that in a new way, or even kind of like say to people, would you like me to do a best of? So you go through previous videos that they've done or you've done with them or they've had done by someone else and say, we could cut that down and make some new content out of it. It's like thinking of those little ways where you can make new stuff out of what you've already got. Yeah, repurpose old stuff. I think that's a really good tip. I mean, let's just talk about what, what we've done. So we've obviously had this conversation. So our business is painting. It relies on us being in front of people, creating artwork. We can no longer do that. So... Um, fortunately over the last year we've been building this podcast so we thought well what can we do well we do a lot of talks obviously those talks have dried up and we're not getting asked to do any speaking gigs currently however we can do speaking gigs online Mm. so the next couple of weeks looks like us reaching out to companies that are going to have budgets that are still making money so uh, a company like Amazon, for example, is seeing a huge <laughs> increase yeah, yeah, yeah. in their sales and their profits. So they've got money to burn. So I'm going to be contacting people at Amazon saying, do you want us to do a live online seminar for your staff that talks about creativity in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Like what can you do from your house that is going to create revenue for yeah. you? I think thinking about how you can turn what you do into digital products as well is really important it's a great time to do that because if you can't physically sell a physical product to someone or you don't if you had a shop where people would come to to get that what could you do that you could sell online because it's like people people are looking for stuff to do at the moment people are kind of in their houses on their own looking for a bit of entertainment so is there anything you, or they want to learn stuff like this is a great time to learn so is there a way that you can create stuff for them that they can then learn from and package that up into something that you can sell? It's really thinking about like, what do you do and how you can make that digital to be able to sell to people? So hopefully there were some useful tips for people in there. Um, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram. It's at Rebels Create and keep using the hashtag Creative Rebels. Uh, you might get featured in Rebel of the Week that we do every week where we showcase a new creator. So hopefully there were some useful tips in there. Obviously we will do, be doing a lot more content over the next few weeks because we've got nothing else to do. So, <laughs> um, we will be here with you um, going through all of this together as a community. Speaking of community, you can always message us at uh, Rebels Create on Instagram. Uh, use the hashtag Creative Rebels if you want to potentially get featured as as a rebel of the week and you can support the show on patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash creative rebels so enough of our waffle let's get into an episode this is going to feel a bit weird yes this will be very (laughs) weird so we recorded this episode before the chaos had happened obviously um and this week's guest is neil rankin who runs restaurants which as you know at the moment aren't doing too well yeah so you're going to hear a lot of talk about people congregating together and experiences and as i was listening to it back it was it was kind of just quite poignant some of some of the points um neil is an incredible entrepreneur and i have 
all the confidence that he will bounce back yeah. as soon as this is over. Like I've I've literally no worries that he's going to be absolutely fine on the yeah. other end of this. And I think it's a really interesting story. So let's get into this episode. Yes, Neil Rankin is a chef. He became well known for cooking barbecue, uh, but has since started creating vegan food as well um, because he doesn't like being told what to do. Uh, <laughs> Neil went from studying sound engineering to becoming a well-known chef and broke into the industry by working for free at 30 years old to learn his craft. It's a very inspiring story of grit and determination. In this episode, we talk about taking risks, running restaurants and building habits. Any any physical act you learn is by having muscle memory and just by doing something over and over again. And it's not popular. It's the only way you learn. It's just by repetitively doing something until it becomes habit. Hi Neil. Hi. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. So you studied physics. Uh, this always comes up. Yeah, I did. I, no, I studied acoustic engineering. Right. Um, acoustic science. So like, yeah, really, really use, useless thing unless you go into a field of acoustics. And, mm. and that ended up... I studied it because I was into music. So I did music at university and then um, I was really good at physics and maths and I was shit at English. I was severely dyslexic, so I didn't I didn't see anything else to do. They they kind of my school book got the placement for me. I didn't actually apply to any universities. Oh way. They they applied for me, got it, and I got phone calls working at Burger King at the time, um, hating it. And they said, I've got your place at university in Manchester. And my first thought was, yeah, it was like it was the mid nineties, so Manchester was fun place to be. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of my thought, rather than the education thing. Um, and you, then you grew up in Edinburgh. Yeah, I grew up in Edinburgh. Um, just getting into clubbing and all that sort of thing. So I was like, "This is this is fucking ideal." Um, so hoofed it down there. Just wasn't really into the the whole thing. I wanted to make music and do stuff, but I knew I wasn't going to monetize it. Um, and I got out of that with a fairly shitty degree. But I'd run a nightclub in the meantime and sort of started learning that I wanted to work for myself. I think that was the main thing. And so left there, did really nothing, became a sound engineer, worked, did events, did music production and stuff like that for a while. And then moved on from that. But yeah, I mean, I did study physics, but not in a, not in a very good way. Yeah. I wasn't that great at it. And I think, I mean, it goes to show because you're doing, I mean, now everything's around food and it just shows that how people can pivot from, because I think we we take these degrees and we make these life choices when we're quite young that could end up being the path that we're set on for the rest of our lives. But it's okay to... I don't think you ever know. I mean, you know, you, you try and find something that enjoys, you try and find something that you get something out of or you feel comfortable with. But, you know, as a 17 year old kid, leaving school what the hell do you know about yeah, then yeah. you know you've got and i think you learn such useless things in school you know the things that i remember from geography like 
I was discussing it with someone the other day. They were like, oh, I know, you know, I I know I know the capital cities, but I didn't remember. I wasn't good at geography, and I was like, I don't know the capital cities, but I know I, I know about the clouds, and I know what they're called, and that's useless. Um, I know about a lot about tectonic plates and stuff like that. I know yeah. I know this sort of useless information, but I've got no idea how to do my tax returns and yeah, you know, and about politics and all the really serious stuff that I wish I'd sort of take more time to learn when I was younger or understood yeah um, which I didn't um I heard you say at one point don't worry about exams just educate yourself yeah do you, have you kind of always found that you teach yourself things rather than getting other people to teach you a friend of mine Nick he owns a, a pub Draper's Arms in Islington and he said his one he fun? went to yeah he went he went to Oxford um super smart guy and he said his one regret was when he was there there was so many like other things going on and he just did his course and did okay at it but there's all these rooms filled with some of the smartest people in the world talking about stuff and he said there was an opportunity for a young kid just to learn everything and I didn't do it and I didn't do that um but I ended up I think educating myself um more than um people taught me I think you know I think that's you know, it's all about learning. You can learn anything at any stage of your life. I think you can... Do you reckon you've always been quite a curious person? Super curious. I think that's... If you, if you, if you draw any parallel between the physics thing and stuff, I'm just curious about shit. You know, I'm curious how things work. I started off in the chef thing with actually a blog. It was a science blog about how everybody else had got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and trying to find... Because I was doing... I was a super um, curious cook and cooking recipes. And I was just like, this is... this. This is this recipe shit. You know, why doesn't this work? And and then questioning why people were doing things a certain way. And I think I've done that throughout my career, much to the annoyance of people that I work for. So I've quickly realized that I was never going to be somebody to work for people. I would have to be someone myself that would go on this journey because nobody wants their work questioned. I hate it, you know. Um, but there's so much in cooking and in in the restaurant which is which is tradition and people just sort of like go off the back of it and they go i'm doing this because x person taught me to i'm like that's not a good way to learn anything you know yeah yeah you gotta you know you've got to get his perspective on it but then what are your own thoughts on this and i think that's equally important in life to listen to what experienced people are doing but also to question it all the time yeah 100 percent. i mean that that is creativity yeah and i think when we look at the successful stories and certainly like when listeners get in touch with us about the show, it's, it's the people that are successful, the people that are taking the different paths, because if you do just tread the same path as everyone else, you get the same results as everyone else. Yeah. yeah. I, and, and I think, I think that's where if I've, if I've taken a different take on cooking and being a chef, I think it's that I just think it's, I'm not, I'm not fooled by it or I'm not, I don't like the status quo in the way it is. I want it. I want to see differences. I want to change it. I want to up it. You know, you want to push it forward. And I think that's why. You know, otherwise everything just stays the same. Otherwise, you know, it becomes very stale. Um, sometimes it's not a good thing to do with a giant restaurant in the middle of London. You've got you've got to balance it. You know, you've got to you know you've got to give people what they want and you've got to understand that and I think creativity can go too far um with it you know you can't just be coming up with new things and expect people to buy it but in in that time you should be pushing 
that forward. I think that's it got to a point with meat cookery where I got to that edge of that and couldn't do anything. And I also just wasn't inspired by it anymore. You know, I've been doing it for six years. My life has been a series of changes and failures and adapting to that failure, you know. Like doing office jobs, then, you know, university, then office jobs, then, you know, sound engineering, then events, then running my own business at 26, doing sandwich, cooking, making sandwiches in um, the outskirts of Glasgow, and then franchising, and then finally getting into cooking at like 30, 31, like properly, um, which um, just a series of changes. But I, th- I felt, you know, the last sort of six years of my life, which has been heavily in this sort of meat barbecue area, um, which is getting a bit stale for me. So I wanted to move on. So I think that that challenge pushed me to do vegan food now, <laughs> yeah. too much as everybody surprises but not at all surprising to me or anybody who actually knew me because um the people that knew me 12 years ago knew that like you're a chef now <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so taking it back like at what point did you decide foods foods what i want to do i think as a creative as, as i was saying to you before with this podcast you know i i've done i do music as something that I really enjoyed doing creatively, but I never wanted to monetize it. And I think I found cooking at home to be a hobby that I could see a path that was easy. I mean, getting into the music industry is just, I don't know, it's yeah. just it's a nightmare. I mean, who who in the right mind, especially nowadays, wants to get into that? Um, so just cooking just, just interests me as a job, as a career. Um, and I just, I, don't, I mean, I'd done it in, I'd done it in the process of doing the sandwich bar to an extent. I'd been working with food. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to open a restaurant, but I didn't want to open a restaurant where I hired a chef to do the cooking and do all that sort of stuff. So I was like, I'm just going to learn this. I'm just going to, you know, so I just called my local fresh rest, French restaurant that had a really nice meal in and said, can I just come in and work for free? So I did that for six months and then went to cookery school and then worked for Nuno Mendes. Um, he's a super famous chef who just opened up, actually just up the road there, he's doing a supper club. And I was like, can I just help you out? He was like, yeah. Then got jobs in like these two Michelin star places that were just beating me to death and working 19 hour days for practically no money. And went through that whole thing with an idea just to learn, you know, just to really immerse myself in it. Because I was 30 years old, I was old. So I couldn't take, you know, I'm not going to take 10 years learning a craft. I have to do it in three. Um, So I thought I'd just work all the time. So I was working 19-hour shifts. The days off, I was cooking and doing blogging and doing recipes and stuff like that. So it just took over my life. It was just a massive... I mean, in retrospect, you would probably say that 30 is not old, right? Looking looking back. But at the time, because you were surrounded by like 20-year-olds who just graduated, I'd imagine that were... I was... Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm working in kitchens where 16-year-olds are in charge of me. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> where yeah. I was. Which to anybody is a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. You know, um, I was. And these kids, I think, you know, they work in there for a long time, but... I don't think they, they're just doing a job. They're like me leaving school. You know, you don't really know what yeah, the fuck yeah. you're doing. Um, whereas I had a completely different attitude towards it. And people were like, 
you're never going to do it. I was like, yeah, I think I will, you know. Um, I think I can learn this better than these guys because it's like if I did university again now and I wanted to do it, I'd be so much better yeah. at it. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, would, yeah. I would be in that class going, and, and the same thing as I said about my friend Nick, he would be in there, he would just be in all these lectures going, oh my God, this is so important. You don't get yeah. the importance of it back then. I feel almost, almost like university should happen 10 years after it does because most people when they're at uni are just like oh, they're just there because it's the next step and they don't really know what to do and it's just like cool, totally. we'll go and do this it looks really fun i'm gonna get drunk for three years and that's what people take out of it most of the time whereas if yeah like if you went to it as a mature student you would fucking learn oh, just so, so good it would yeah. be so good and you'd have the money to do it and you'd have the house i just you know and it the opportunity of just being at a university, like my friend said, it's like, like it's not just your course. You don't just need to go to that. You can yeah, go yeah. to all these other things and learn this. And, and the amount of education in them, the smart people in there and what you can get out of it is huge. Yeah, I mean, when I see people, there was the older students in there, which I get now. And I'm yeah. like, that that is just, it's just so much more advanced. Because I spend my times now, I read about stuff in books and stuff like that and all that. But podcasts, I listen to now quite a lot of them. Um, and you learn quite a lot from these things, and and that that just keeps you fresh and whatever. But but you know, I think you could, you know, me. I started to learn another language last year, and I've, I've sort of dropped it now. But I need to pick it back up again because that was, it just refreshes you, and it's like you know, I, I think we have this vision that you learn between the ages of, you know, six year old and and eighteen, and that's yeah. just it's barmy, you know. Um, and I think a lot of people just stop. A lot of people just sort of give up on that, and that's 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 a shame. What would you say is like the best way to learn? Because obviously you crammed, say, ten years of learning into three. Like, what's your method? Say, if I said tomorrow you're going to go and become this career you've never done before, nineteen-hour days. What would be your approach? To <laughs> it is, it's immersion. It's just you've got to immerse yourself in that. You learn any physically any physical act you learn by is by having muscle memory and and just by doing something over and over again. And it's not popular. And the guys coming into the industry now don't like it. They're like, oh, you've got to do this. It's like, it's like, yeah, that's the only way you learn. It's just by repetitively doing something until it becomes habit, until it becomes natural, until you become good at it. And that applies to martial arts or boxing or physical sports or art or photography or anything. It's like, it's, you know, you don't, you know, people, you don't get good at it straight away. You might have a talent for it and you might have, more potential than other people but you know anybody that plugs away at something enough and with enough dedication I think you can get good at almost anything you know you can learn a language you know in a in three months if you get thrown into a you know, if you get thrown into the Spanish prison and that's... Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you're going to pick it up a lot faster than listening to podcasts on the bus on the way into university. You know, and, and kids that um, go off and cook in other countries and kitchens in France and stuff like that pick up French pretty bloody quickly. Um, and I think that's... It's just solid immersion and shutting yourself off and just doing it enough times. And that doesn't come from... You know, you're not going to get good at boxing if you just have one lesson a week and for an hour. Yeah, you know, you'll be all right at it and you'll learn more than somebody else. And it's, it's okay, it's a hobby. But, you know, in order to do that properly, you've got to dedicate your life to it and, and your days to it. And, yeah. and just we, we talk a lot about on the show as well. Like, you can read as many books as you want about that thing. So boxing, for example. But until you actually get in the ring and fight a hundred times, you're just going to be awful. 
Yeah, and it's just, I, I, did, I did it a bit last year and I got... Boxing? Yeah, I went into... <laughs> I did like four runs with this professional guy. It was, it, it's, it's intense. And it's scary and you realise how bad you are at it and you realise how good they are at it. And it's, you know... But that's like, you know, young kids would... You know, when journalists come around to my house and cook with me and they're just like, what are you doing? And I'm just like... <laughs> and I go around the place and just do everything really fast and whenever because I, I can do that with my hands tied behind my back. Well, that's difficult, but, yeah. you know. But yeah, I can do it, you know. It's just like breathing to me. You know, there's, a, there's a Bruce Lee quote that reminds me of that. Um, it's, it's it's something I'll butcher it, but it's something like um, you you kick so many times until you don't think kick, you just kick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but that's exactly it. It's just muscle memory. It's just what you do, and it's these people that you know just punch a pole. I used to read all these ninjutsu things, and that's like they just get out in the morning and punch this tree and then and I was like, fuck am I gonna do that for? It's ridiculous. But but you know, this repetitive thing of just doing things over and over again, it works for anything, you know? Um on that topic there, like I think there's another Bruce Lee quote, which is also amazing. It's like he he said something like, again I'll probably butcher it now, but <laughs> <laughs> um also we've never talked about Bruce Lee before, so it's not like we're just massive Bruce Lee fans. Yeah. Uh, but I think he said something like, I don't fear the man who knows a thousand punches. I would fear the man who's You've done the same punch a thousand times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like you're is that someone who's yeah, just yeah. the expert who's just gone for it. Yeah. I mean, there's physical things are there's there's problems you can have. You know, if you you know you can just not be good at art. You cannot have an eye for it. You cannot have a creative bone for certain things. You can not be physically. You know, you can have physical limitations within you know your structure or whatever before you're doing something, but. To an extent, I think anything's possible, you know, and, and I don't think I think it's possible at almost any age. I mean, you look at physically, you look at people that if they exercise at like 60 and stuff like that and really exercise, they're in good physical shape. You know, there comes to a point where obviously your body's going to die out. and everything. But I think with my especially my career in cooking, I can't see myself not cooking when I'm in my 70s. Yeah. You know, I can't see myself stopping it. I don't look at retirement in the same way as somebody working for Barclays would or something like that, you know. But my mum would be like, Oh, you know, what are you you know, what are you where's your pension? I'm like, I'm I ain't got a pension. I'm not gonna stop. I'm not I'm just gonna yeah. continue working. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fine for me. And it's fine in creative industries, I think, you know, depending what it is. But, you know, photographers and stuff like that, you know, it doesn't you know, there's not there's not a period there's a period that might yeah. become a little bit creepy depending on what the photography is. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but in, in general, painting, art, creative type, you know, there's no there's no age barrier. And why would you stop? You know, yeah. you're not gonna stop creating, so why you stop selling it and why you stop doing it? That might change you know, your, your perspective of it or people's perspective of you or the, the style of what you do may change in form, but you can keep on doing that for, you know, the rest of your life until you can't physically do that. I think it's like so many people will have jobs that they hate, have a passion thing on the side that they love doing that's creative or something, do that in the evenings. And then when they retire, they're like, okay, well, I can just do that all the time now. But they've not built, if they built up a career doing that, yeah. And they could carry they wouldn't need to have worked that whole sixty years doing something they didn't want to do. They could have just carry on. And yeah. then they can earn money from it. Straight I have on. so I have creative things that I do on the side that I don't like like music. So I've I've just I I did I had a point where I 
threw everything out and I was like, I shouldn't have thrown that stuff out. So I've just bought myself a sort of recording studio, some recording studio and built it back up again. But musically, what kind of things are you into? Um, oh, really, I took my guitar player by trait. Um, I was, I used to teach guitar at school. Um, and, and then I did music production. So I was producing stuff for other people's bands and stuff. But yeah, I do a lot of sort of like, sort of, um, melodic sort of old dance style stuff like 90s anything from the 90s and, <laughs> and stuff like that is, is kind of my vibe I never really got past that um, I, I still listen to that more than anything so I go back to that um, and I just have fun with it you know it's a thing that I never I can never see myself putting myself under pressure to do it as a thing although that's not something to say that wouldn't you know if I came across some way of pushing myself into it. I did a DJ set at, weirdly at a restaurant last, it was like a year ago and everybody was super surprised because I did it like properly and was like beat matching stuff and mixing stuff in and mixing other melodies and putting other vocal tracks and things all over it and doing loads of production stuff. They're like, what the hell? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I was just, you know. Um, but I love doing that. But so that's, I mean, my creative side, my, my job is something I love doing. Anyway, and then I have that and the outside that I love doing. You know, there's not, I think that's a nice way to be. I think if people's perception of me from my Instagram is that I'm a sort of, sort of angry old man <laughs> all the time, but actually I'm relatively happy in in my career and in my life and most things because I, I get a lot out of my hobbies and my career. I think that's a nice space to be in. And with the music, do you just do that for yourself or do you like the way that you can entertain other people with it? I never entertain other people with it. I'm not the sort of, you know, people come in and they see that I've got quite a nice guitar and they go, oh, and I was like, no. no. <laughs> I dated this girl actually last year. She was a French girl. She was really nice. She she goes and she, she just learned the guitars and she goes with this group and they just play in a pub in Hackney or something. And I was like, you do that? I was like, I couldn't, that would scare the hell out of me. But yeah, I'll get up in front of, thousands of people and just talk and cook and do whatever. I think that's, you know, I'm not, that doesn't put me off. But musically, I don't know. I think it's just something that it's quite private. It's quite personal. Mm. Um, kind of slightly veering off topic there, but would you kind of say that in your restaurants that the food or the experience is more important? The experience, 100%. 100%. Um, without question, people don't. People do go out for food occasionally, you know. I think in France it's very different. France, French culture, food-wise, and, and Italian culture, they don't really spend a lot of money in restaurants, you know. They, they And I've opened restaurants in yeah. Paris for other people. Um, very little shop fits. It's just about about the food because people have a really appreciation for it. And they'll go for a certain cheese, they'll go for certain delicacies and things like that and go out and just do that and some nice wine and go home and that's fine. I think here people go out for an event and they want more out of it. And I think that's becoming much more prolific now. And that's the creativity around opening a restaurant. It's actually not about opening a restaurant anymore. It's about opening a night out. Mm -hmm. And I think you've much more chance of success in the city, especially London, if you view it as that. It's an experience. From the first restaurant that I opened, Pick You, Really, I mean, it was about the food. You know, the food was good, but that's a bonus. It was about the waiting in the line, weirdly. You know, people yeah. got a buzz. They would wait for, people would wait for three and a half hours to get into a restaurant, which to me is 
insane. Um, especially in a place like Soho, which has so many restaurants around it. But that was part of the vibe. And then they'd sit in the bar and um, drink cocktails and get fucked up and then go down and there's just this great barbecue food and this little thing and everybody was held together and it was too fucking hot and it was just like this. But, but it was an experience. It was a night out. I think quickly after that, I, I something clicked and I was like, this isn't about me. This isn't about what I'm doing. I could be, this could be anything, you know? And that that's sort of proven itself time after time after time, you know? You look at something probably most successful, a restaurant in London, which is Dishoom. Yeah. And again, I think it's, there's something in that. Dishoom's like a grown-up curry version of PitQ on a massive scale. You know, they've actually done it really, really right. And people don't get it, but the queue is super important in that whole thing that people wait for a while and then you go into the bar, which yeah, is that's, really good. Remember when the King's Cross one opened, we queued for three and a half hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. You do, which is insane. Yeah, it's freezing and, cold and as I well. Past, so they've got one next to, to one of our places in, in Covent Garden, which are just expanding, doubling the size of. And I speak to people in the queue sometimes. I go, do you, do you know there's one on a tube you can just yeah, get to so Kensington? Close, yeah. you, can, you, can, you can just get in. You don't have to wait in this. And they just, they want, they want that. And it's just, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, fine. It's the, the Covent Garden one's the worst one. And by their own admission, it was the first one. It's not yeah, designed yeah. as well as the others. Um, um, but that's just, it's a monster business. You know, that's like the industry leader right now. Which will get taken over by something else at some point, but at the moment that's that's where it's at, and it's it's experience. It's the food's good, you know. There's no the food's, the food is as good as most Indian restaurant food is, and it's it's a it's a good menu, it's a good whatever. But it's so much more than that, and I think young restaurateurs now, some of the chefs are haven't clicked with that yet. They still think, oh my god, well if I if I just do this really clever potato dish and that'll get me through, or or I've been been to Mexico and I've seen this thing and I'm going to bring this to to London and they're going to love it. It's like they'll bore of it, you know. You'll go through probably about two weeks or four weeks of soft launch where all these people that just come to soft launches to get yeah, discounted yeah. food and never come back to you again. And then you you probably have a sort of hyped phase where people go, oh my god, this is great, and then they just get fucking bored and move on and move on to the next thing. There's no substance to it. Yeah. Whereas temper one is still as busy as day we opened because there's more to it. Um, it's about, it's a night out, which is why when I'm in there and the music's low and I'm like, why the fuck? And they're like, well, yeah. people complain about the music. It's like, put it fucking up. You know, it's, that's what people are coming for. That's our point of difference. If you lose that, if you lose the fire in the middle of the room and don't have that on, if you put the lights up too loud and you don't have this music, if you don't give people enough mezcals and just force that down their throat and just that, 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 it, it just loses its vibe. It's not because the food is good, but it's not, it's not about that. And it could be anything. That food could be any food. It's about the space. It's about the vibe. It's about the actress. And that's what people go. They go for experiences. They go to, play crazy golf and get food there. You know, you go to markets and stuff like that, which the original street feast was just about a night out because people weren't going out clubbing anymore. You know, that that sort of thing had sort of become quite um, specific. You know, it was a specific group of people, whereas everybody used to do it, you know. It was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go out clubbing and spend, you know, £70 in a glass of water and get fucked up and go to an after party and be there for days. That, that, that still exists, 
but it's not as prolific. You know, you go down Brick Lane just around the corner and there's a certain sort of people still doing that. (laughs) But it used to be massive, you know. And there's now just, you know, there's a lot of people on ketamine walking at 12 (laughs) o'clock in the morning. But, but, But it's not, it's not the big monster it was. So people found another outlet and I think pubs were a thing. And then, so that sort of market hall thing became about, well, the original Street Feast was about a night out and it was yeah, vibey, yeah. it was cool. And you can go with your friends and you could just hang out and go to something afterwards. And that was that was what's special about it. I think the new markets, the and it's just about food. I don't know, you know, they're, they're better, they're more grown up and the food's better, the service is better, the sites are in better locations. But I'm not too sure you have that same level of vibe and... Yeah, and yeah, I not, don't know if you love them as much. Yeah, it's very different. It's more of a practical place. It's a convenience. convenience. It's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a total convenience thing. That's why the one at Victoria works so well. It's like, you know, it's... Yeah. it's like, I've been there so many times for the convenience of it. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It's like, because there's nothing else yeah. there. And it, and it suits in. But then, I don't know, I think I long for more of that old school theory of it. It's just like, you know, somewhere for people to go and hang out. And I think that's the future of my industry is about... You know, we just bought a jazz club in Soho, um, and that's that. That to me is what what's exciting about the industry at the moment. It's you know getting music back into it, getting getting that sort of three hundred and sixty. You know, you know, your love of music is helping influence that. I've got a terrible taste in music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting into jazz now to do the thing because I've did this jazz immersive event with these guys, the Lost Estate, who are really cool, and we did a jazz thing in Bermondsey, and I just did the food, and they just did the, and the first week we just they they did a play, um, but the first week the play wasn't quite up to scratch, so they just made it a jazz bar, and they just did this fucking wicked house band on, and I'm sat there. People are eating and this jasmine. I'm just going. This is it. This is this is just so fucking cool. This is just. I'm in. I'm in fucking. You know, um, New Orleans thirty years ago, and I'm loving it. And I'm not even that into jazz. And I just started listening to it. And I was like, this is what I get. This, you know, I get this as a night out. And then you go to some new restaurant launch, and it's just this sort of mundane normalness to it all and it's like oh you know trying to trying to sort of trying to create an experience with with food that you may like or not like and you know a clever thing and and just the sort of over-the-top customer service or I don't know I just you know I think I think it just needs a, a breath of fresh air it needs something new um, but I think like whenever we've talked about sort of different businesses that we could open I think that's one reason why we've always stayed away from the restaurant business is because because there is that like kind of grand opening and then grand closing. It's it's like there's there's very very few that will sustain, and I suppose it's Agreed. it's yeah it's because it's trendy for a little while and then it and then it falls off the the radar. Um, but then I suppose like you've you've cracked it with because um, restaurants like Temper have been open for years. Yes, like four years now I think yeah. almost, but, but and it's still as busy. Um, but it it it, it is. Yeah, because they're going for the the initial opening is something that is a trend. There's a difference between something being a trend and something being a being something that's a solution to people's yeah, yeah, yeah. lives. Um, and you've got to be flexible with that as well. You know, you look at restaurants that 
look at like the, the sort of like pie mash places that are in London, and people are always up in arms. Oh my god, we got to keep them going, and I, and I get that, and I, I really, it's nice to think that these places are, you know, that they're, they're, it's a it's a it's a heart back to the past, you know, like yeah, yeah. you know, cafes and places like that, and an old London, and yeah, you want to keep that intact, but yeah. Nobody wants it anymore. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there comes a point when, as a business, you have to move on and, and you, you have to progress. Um, and you can't, I don't think, I think there's a, there's a feeling that places like Brixton and all that, but there's sort of, some of the old sort of butchery sellers and stuff, and they, they, you know, they're going to be there for years to come because they don't want to get rid of people. Because then, but then nothing moves on. And I don't know if it should be a museum that is there, you know, it's like it's a museum piece becoming that, which is sad yeah. in itself. I think it's sadder not to move it on um, and to keep it as an unsuccessful entity that just doesn't work and a reminder that we have moved on yeah. rather than just progress with it. And I think as a difference between a restaurateur and a creative is that as a creative, you're always looking for the next thing. I'm always analysing myself and wanting to change it, you know, your business yourself, you know, you're not, it's not a static thing. It's not yeah. like, you're like, I've got a tattoo place. That, that's my level of thinking. You know, it's like, it's like, well, what, what can I do? Whereas rather than just being stuck in this business, which I was with the sandwich place, just going, I don't know what I can change. It's not, it's not working anymore. What do I do? Because I don't have the ability to adapt it and move it on and, and try new things, which is what, what that needs you know it's what we all need uh, and with temper like they all have quite like different menus so it's all they all almost seem like different restaurants not anymore in this same, oh, really, not. yeah not much anymore I, the whole story behind that was tend to be that i we opened the, they were supposed to be small like that was the business plan these small little sort of barafina type sort of things yeah. of 30 40 covers so it was massive yeah, and then I mean, <laughs> somehow I got persuaded into doing Soho, and I was like, okay. And I changed the concept. I had two concepts. I had a Mexican concept, and I had this sort of whole animal sort of barbecue thing that I wanted to do, which was a bit more like, a bit more like sort of brat or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It was small. It was just about the meat and the food. And then I had this concept called Big Worm. Actually, it was called. And it was a full-on Mexican mezcal extravaganza, whatever. Just a vibey fucking place to go. And we had that site at Soho and the, the investment company really persuaded me into it. And I was like, okay, well, fine, let's do it. But it can't be, it can't be this original idea, which was sort of Barafina-esque and quite sort of discreet. I said, it's, it's not going to work on this scale. So we have to move these two things together. So I came up with this menu, added the tacos, went to Mexico, did the thing. And I was like, and it was super successful. So then it was like, well, this is what you're doing. I was like, ah. <laughs> so I, I didn't know how to move that on because I didn't think, I didn't think that would work in the city. Um, and the next site we got was in the city of London. And I just didn't think that menu, as you were saying before, it's not really about the food. It was about the experience. So I was like, what does the city experience want to be? But it was kind of creatively, I was trapped by this, this, rhetoric that we had about temper which is about whole animal butchery is all about the center thing so i'm sort of you know i wasn't just looking at that site and going what would work well there mm -hmm. you know what is the best thing we can do in this space what what do these guys around us really want 
I was just trying to sort of like cram these two things together. I was going, look, look, there's no good big curry houses. Let's do something like this. Let's do it. And then, but I had to follow these things. So it was always like city's now great. And it's all about stakes, which is probably the right, right way to go. Um, but I just didn't understand that marketplace. And I didn't know I'd made a mistake in who the people around there was. So we had to change it and turn it into something that's more like temper. But then you couldn't do temper Soho because the guys in the city want steaks, they want big things, they want all this sort of stuff. You know, so there's a certain thing. So it was a different thing. And then Covent Garden, I just, again, it was just too close to the original one. And I was like, let's do, let's do what's successful around there. So it started off with pizzas, which yeah. worked. But they, the, the spend per head was really low. And we'd overspent on the site initially. And then, um, so we had to then adapt the menu. <laughs> and so then you've got this horrible thing of trying to make I'm it like Soho, but yeah, it yeah. wasn't built like Soho. It didn't have the vibe of Soho. So I don't think that has ever really been the best reputation of us. It does okay now. It's fine. But because um, the food's good and, you know, the, the place is good. It's in a decent area, but. Um, nothing will ever eclipse the original Soho because it was made for that site. That was Soho, designed for that space. It was a Soho speakeasy dive with loud music and stakes and people get it and they got it. And just not too sure you should replicate that unless you found another space that is exactly for that. You know, you just go, that's it. You know, there's a Hawksmore, looks like a Hawksmore. You know, you can't, they almost put one in... Um, massive building in New York had been in like a big glass box. It would have been like a huge thing and that would have fucked it. And they realized that and they, they, they pulled out at the right time and put it in something that looked like a Hawksmoor. And there's a certain thing to a Hawksmoor. You just, you go in and you go, ah, yeah, I yeah, get it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, it's like an old thing. There's something about it that, that gives you that steakhouse grandiose thing that that's what it could be. And I think you play with temper with number three. I think, you know, it's it would be better as something that is different. I don't know. How'd you go from working 19-hour days, sweating in the in the kitchens, learning your trade, to opening your, your first place? Uh, luck, purely. I don't, well, luck and persistence. I guess. I mean, I was, I was, and also just making, you make, I think you look back on it and people would be like, okay, so I think Pick You was the pivotal moment of recognition. Even though when I opened, nobody knew who I was because it was under somebody else's. But that, look, looking back at it, that's like a, a really simple decision to make, you know, to go from working for the Jamie Oliver group and getting quite highly paid, but you know, I'm just a just a lackey, really. Yeah, I'm just you know, I'm just in the system. Um, to with a potential career ahead of me, working for them and doing you know probably earning quite a lot of money and being quite successful. Maybe not recently, but you know, but but still, I mean, it's a, it's still a big um, company to work for. To then working to, to going for something which successful like pick you, but I don't think that was necessarily. Nobody else wanted that job. You know, it was it was a trailer on the South Bank selling pulled pork sandwiches, moving into a tiny little unit in Soho with no real... We didn't know it was going to be successful. So th I think that decision there was the 
the one decision that that was the first decision I made. It was like, all right, so that's you know that paid off. You were you ever working on the wagon or did no? They, they no, I went to the wagon. Or... I actually didn't like the wagon very much. I liked the I liked the cocktails and the pool porch, but the brisket was terrible. And I was just like, oh, this is this is you know. And I was like, should I do this? And and most people said, don't do it. You know, that was the big thing was people like, don't do it. But and I was getting paid less money, but I just thought it's a gamble, just a gamble move that you know, what do I lose if if it doesn't pay off? You know, I just go and get another job somewhere. And I just thought, why, you know. And I think most people's default instinct is don't do it. Yeah. In anything. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you looked at it on paper, you know, it was a stupid decision to move there. But actually, in the end, it was it was the right decision to yeah. make. Because you get, you're, you've got a chance of actually just going out there and having a platform of creativity. Whereas if I was stuck in that Jamie Oliver cog, I might get paid more. But there's no way I was going to break out of that, you know. Um and then when I left PitQ and then was going to do something else. And the, the second thing was an even bigger gamble in so much as this guy, um, I won't mention his name, but he was running this restaurant in Islington and he was getting so much good press over it. But yet he was completely fucking up the restaurant and the restaurateurs just hated him and he was, he was just losing hand over fist money every week. Um, being really difficult about it and not turning up and being really prima donna So they were calling me to say, look, do you want to do this? And I was like, oh, because he's got, he's got like a five-star review in the yeah, Evening yeah. Standard. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be the guy. And everybody was singing these praises. And I was like, I'm not going to be the guy to go and take over that from working in a barbecue place. But actual fact, that when the press came out and that this the thing that they were going, oh, he worked for PitQ. Oh, he was part of PitQ. Oh, I, I get where PitQ came from now yeah, because yeah, yeah. The, the guy's running it had no background in doing that sort of thing. Oh, and then luckily Faye Mashra came in and gave me a smashing review straight off the bat. And that was it. So that was like, you know, you're, you're kind of in that position of you're now. The smokehouse. Um, no, it was called John Salt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then... So you had Simon, you're feeding Simon Rogan at a table and these famous people coming in. It was just like weird. <laughs> was like, oh my God, this, is, this is odd. And then, yeah, I got approached for a smokehouse after that. So that came off the bat of that. So it was just, a, a, I suppose a, in my case, it was just the right decisions at the, the right time, but they didn't seem like the right decisions at the time. And were, you, were you using your own money or were you working with investors? At that time, there was no money involved. So I, I didn't... You know, I didn't have any money. Uh, don't have that much at the moment either. I, I, I haven't, I haven't been the canniest of chefs. I haven't really. Um, I don't get much promotional stuff because of the shit I say online. So, <laughs> <laughs> I do. My, my 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 agent does just go. Oh my god! You know, if you just and I was like, yeah, but I'd be less interesting. You know, if I didn't slag off Marco Pierre White and Gordon Ramsay and very publicly, I'd probably get more jobs out of it. I didn't say the c word as much on the internet, I'd probably get that job for Unilever or something like that that got proposed to me. Um, If I didn't say that everybody that flew on planes or like plane crashes weren't that much of a tragedy because every airport's a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Things like that that probably don't go down there with with big sort of campaign brands and stuff. But I got like, I got a few of them, like Budweiser and stuff like that. That's the thing, you'll you'll get the right ones. Yeah, yeah, you get the ones that you don't mind. You know, I did a a one for Ford recently. They just gave me this big, it was fucking cool. It's like, do you want this massive big, 
pickup truck thing like a ute. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Like, I couldn't get it anywhere in London. It was completely useless. <laughs> my flat and bow was like, I'm just almost scraping just getting into it. And we were trying to get into a garage in Soho. It's just completely impossible. It was the most impractical car in the world. They were like, do you want one? I was like, no, I'll just take, give me the money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I think, like, calling out um, other chefs for their bullshit, like, you you were brave enough to say what everyone else was thinking. I mean, especially the Marco Pierre White thing where he's, uh, what was he saying? Like, women shouldn't be chefs or shouldn't women be in the shouldn't kitchen. Women shouldn't be or, in the kitchen, but yeah, we can't do the same job, which is, for starters, bullshit. But I think that whole thing just comes from, and it, I lose a lot of friends over it. I lose a lot of followers. I lose a lot of respect. And there's a lot of industry people that will look down on me because of doing it. But I just don't like the fact that, and I don't do it to, young chefs, I don't slag off young restaurants, whatever, but you're in a position of power. I just think it's tantamount to us not to let our peers and those powerful figures get away with saying anything, you know? You look at the whole Michael Jackson thing and and any celebrity that does something bad or whatever, you know, and people go, oh, yeah, but his music and his food and, you know, it's like, it's, you know, come out and say outlandish things. I still respect, you know, I, I love... I named my cat after Marco Pierre White. I had a cat called Marco Pierre White. I love the guy. You know, I love his career. I love Gordon Ramsay. I think he's, you know, I love what he's done with it. But you can't get away with just saying bullshit. You know, if you slag off my staff, my my industry, my people, the people that work for me every day, the people that I feel responsible for their careers, and those are the people that I should be looking out for. Not you. Not you with your millions of pounds and doing what, saying whatever you say. And if you say something that, is against them then it's my I feel it's my maybe shouldn't do it but I do feel it's my duty to almost speak up because I know that's bullshit you know and I'm not getting paid for that you know I'm not I actually lose money about it but I just want to have self-respect for myself and just go no I didn't let that slide you know and the women thing is just it's just such bullshit because in his eyes I get I get where he's coming from because the women that work for him probably did struggle because he was nightmare to work for you know those those you know what in in my daily chore list of things to do in a kitchen most of it is about chopping veg and cooking stuff in a pan there's none of that that sexuality or or stature or, or age or whatever makes any difference. Fucking cooking. You know, it's pretty simple. What they probably couldn't deal with is his fucking prolonged bullshit and the this high intense kitchen pressure, which these guys seem to regard as being part of the job. And the sexism and the bullying and yeah. that sort of ultra male um, bullshit that you have to put up with working for these. And I've seen that in kitchens. I've seen girls work the front line and the head chef at the back, the guy that owns the fucking business, just asking them what, what their cunt looks like and things like that, you know? And it's just like, and you're, you're there as a chef going, no wonder she couldn't deal with it, but that's not the job. That's not what we're discussing yeah, here. Yeah. You're saying, can she be a chef? And if you're talking about working for someone that, that, you know, some of the Scandinavian companies, some of the modern restaurants, which are really, you know, good HR, good working standards, not, you know, employing people properly, trying to give people careers, then there is no difference. So your 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 accusation might work in your experience, but your experience is actually bullshit. I don't care how good a chef you are, I don't care how pioneering you were, but the kitchens you ran were an absolute abomination of bullying and which is still felt 
um, the, 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 you know, the, the, the butterfly effect from that still felt within our industry and people still believe that and look to him and go, oh, you know, but, you know, but, and a lot of people that responded were super positive, but then you get the guys going, oh yeah, but he's a much better chef than you. I was like, I don't give a fuck. He still can't say that. You know, he's not a better employer. He's not a better manager, mm-hmm. you know? So what we were talking about earlier with everyone does the thing that's accepted and, oh, this is the path. And, and I, I would imagine that within the industry, people just kind of like take their lumps and just go, well, this is just how it is. And whereas with your places, you're like, it doesn't have to be like that and you can treat people a little bit better. There's, there's a sense of this, this journey, which is much longer about, oh my God, I'm going to get a Michelin star. I'm going to get my third. And that's a Gordon Ramsay's career built of it, which he'd have gotten from the whole passion from, thing, from um, Marco, who he'd have got from, you know the guys that he learned from, yeah. you know, and then this this idea of this 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 your your soul journey to the thing, and it's super egotistical in a way. It's just like because it's not about the people around you. The people around you are just following you, and they can go fuck themselves. You know, if you listen to the rhetoric within that, which was you know, in Gordon Ramsay's television, he's doing it on camera. <laughs> you're just a fucking this. You're fucking yeah. this. You're nothing. You're nothing. I've worked in so many of these kitchens, and that's the way it is. And it's like it's like this is just about you. You know, it's not about starting a company and a yeah. business and and think my my different viewpoint is that it's it's a career and it's like how you know, I I'm meeting somebody after this who works for me in there. My 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 purpose of the meeting is to find out what she wants out of her career and try and give her that purpose because we're growing our business at the moment. That's the most important thing to me. It's not my ego. It's not whether or not people like my food, it's building a business. And that's the the difference of it. It's not this super ego project where you just you know this is all about what i can give you and you know what what you know this is my journey and my journey and fuck everybody around you um i find that you know it's, it's something that exists very much in only in restaurants i don't know where that where else that that exists because you know you'd get called out on it you wouldn't be allowed well, other creators to yeah. do it themselves you know you know if you're, if you're a super crazy fucking artist that just spends every night just going, ah, you know <laughs> dead, dead, taking mushrooms and and painting shit and doing stuff, then you're doing it by yourself. You haven't got a team of people behind you going, yeah, we have a, you know, yeah. you, you know. Um, I, don't I, think- I suppose it's the power dynamic. I know, I know there's tattoo studios where, um, where the, the kind of the lead artist is, yeah, that, is, that's another one, is using that kind of power of I'm employing you to take advantage of employees, where, be it sexually or not paying enough. Or, and that's certainly something within the tattoo industry. So I, I guess there probably is, I guess it's wherever yeah. there's that power dynamic. Yeah, that's and I think it is. Yeah. And it is. And that has to be shot down. I think it's my, my job. Well, it's not my job, but I feel it's part of, you know, the, the privilege I've been given to get to this point in the industry where people look up to me or listen to what I say in any realm. I want to make that part of what I say to people, you know, and it's not about putting down Gordon Ramsay. I, you know, it's not about putting down his career. It's not about you know, killing his legacy or doing anything like that. It's about saying, you know, you just can't say that bullshit because it's not true. And I don't believe in it. And I want this industry to be more positive and more about because it's dying because people aren't wanting to work for us anymore because of the bullshit that's happened and because of this power dynamic and because of the shitty industry standard. We need to be better at it. And that needs to be the rhetoric. And yeah, you can do your silly little fucking dishes and, and get your, get whatever stars you want and do all that. But you need to do it under a banner of a company which supports people and employees. Otherwise, they'll just fuck off. And then it's only you left on your own. You know, 
cooking your own dishes with your fucking North Stock cubes and nobody cares, you know? And, <laughs> and it really is that how you want to be remembered in, in, the end of, in the end of your life. Because it is, I think, you know, Markle knows it's kind of bullshit now, you know? It's like all that sort of stuff. It's like, he just doesn't give a shit about it anymore. It's just about making money. Um, and I don't know, he just, it just, it, it doesn't, it's self-serving, but it's not, it's not an industry. It's just, it's just you. So go and do it yourself, you how, know? How would you want to be remembered in the industry? I don't really think about it. I think that one thing I'd like to do is just come up with something that is has some worth, you know? And this is why I wanted to do, wanted to do the vegan thing. I think not because of the ethics behind it, but I'm a creator. So that's, that's what I get my buzz. I'm not really an operator. Um, Jesus Christ, I, I shouldn't be a head chef. I'm not a head <laughs> chef. Um, that's when I fail. But as a creative that comes up with new things and, and this sort of vegan thing has sort of caught wind with me and I'm like, this is really, you know, there's so much depth in this that hasn't been explored yet. And, you know, I've come up with a burger that just down the road and we're not super busy. We're all right. We're, we're doing okay. But you've actually got something which professional, <laughs> like meat, people that judge meat and people that make burger and stuff think tastes the same, if not better than a beef burger. It's got zero cholesterol. It's got hardly any calories and it's beneficially good for you and tastes like a Big Mac. You know, that I'm sitting on that going, this is like one of the best achievements I've ever had yeah. in my life. And nobody gives a shit. <laughs> you know, like there's people that get, but it's not like, it's like you come up with something and I like, like, you know, I'm like, Going, is this real? Like, I I enjoy eating this, and you get these meat heads coming in and going. This is actually fucking good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's 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 really good. Um, and it's getting the best reviews I've ever got of anything. It's you know everybody's loving it. Everybody's leaving going, oh my god, that's amazing. And it's super cheap and it's super affordable. And you know, there's there's a part of me going, actually, you know, this is like the most sustainable, ethical thing that I've ever done, and it tastes delicious. And I just want to do more of that, you know. And if I can hit upon something which then changes people's perception in in that industry and and people do more of it more chefs get into it and do food that doesn't involve you know industries which we know are not that great for us anymore you know um then that would be something i'd i'd rather be remembered for than some guy that cooks steaks and swears at <laughs> famous chefs, you know. Um, I just want some substance to it. That's what I'd quite like to do. Something that means something. Because you can open up another restaurant and do a nice menu and people come and, as you say, like, come and get bored and move on and whatever. Is that a legacy? You know what I mean? Is it a good legacy or could you do more? But looking at this, looking at something which is actually fucking doing something, you know, or inspiring people to do something which could make a little difference, you know. Um, that is much more exciting to me. That's much more, that's got my, you know, I'm, I've never been so enthused about a product, which I think people have seen if they follow me on Instagram, just yeah. me doing this product. And there's all these professional chefs going, fucking what, you're mental, what are you doing? And I was like, it's like no, I'm really into this because it's, it's a journey that has a purpose, you know, whereas every other journey I've been on, Temper aside, because I think temper was about sustainable meat sourcing and how we can do that. But but everything else has been kind of just about coming up with some cool food because I think I'm cool and I want you to try my cool food. And it's like that's cool, but it's not it's not really life changing. It's not really 
it's not really a legacy. It's like, oh, yeah, he's good at barbecue. He's good at this. And that's, it's okay, but it's not enough. So would you say then the, because um, you mentioned there about sustainable meat, so that's when you're, you were, I mean, you're described better than me, but you're using the whole animal basically um, within your restaurants, yeah. right? which is super hard. But it, sustainability and ethics and all that stuff is, is apart from, I'd say this new place, Silo, which is open to the thing, which is super fucking good. If you haven't been there, you should go. Um, sustainability and ethics within a restaurant is not that sexy a conversation. People just want to eat. People want a vibe, want to go out. But I think, you know, I looked, I was doing, so when I worked at Smokehouse, especially we were getting in, we did these short rib, we did this short rib bourguignon dish. Did you ever go? I don't know. Yeah, I had that. Super yeah, good. Brilliant. And there was me, like, we started butchering our animals and stuff in there because we were getting to a point where we were just cooking that dish and we were getting, the supply, it became so popular, just the supply of these short ribs used to come in. And short rib is like, it's like there. It's like a tiny little piece of of a cow. There's only four ribs, and the proper ones are tiny. So out of one whole cow, you get really two of these things, mm-hmm. you know, proper short ribs. You'll get other ribs, which, you know, people pass off as short ribs. But the, the proper ones are only like four, and it's small. Um, and that's enough for like, you know, five or six people. So you know, maybe even that, maybe three or four, or three if they're greedy. Um, so one cow three or four people you know the 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 maths is weird and then you you that becomes popularized so then you start complaining to your suppliers and then you start thinking about it and and that's what bugged me wasn't the ethics of the animal slaughter and things like that it was just like what am i doing and where is this coming from and why am i demanding that all these cows look the fucking same and carry on with this so I was like, there must be another way to do it. And in Smokehouse, we started to do it. We started to get in whole animals, which my chef really loved and, and butchered that ourselves. But it wasn't built for that. So when we did Temper, it was like, I'm going to build a restaurant solely around this. So it's just, we're not going to buy in cuts of meat. Um, we're just going to buy the whole animals, and that's all we're going to do. And we're going to get everything from that. And then the chefs really get into it. You get this thing where they then start really enjoying coming up with a they enjoy butchering because they've never done it before and you don't get to do that in restaurants but b they enjoy just utilizing the rest of it and going okay well what do we do with this so we have to come up with another dishes so the menu is built on the off cuts from cattle that we didn't have so one cow a week now if you look at a normal barbecue restaurant that just serves brisket that's like two and one cow if they serve 75 briskets a week that's you know that's 40, 40 cattle just for that one dish. And you were, you were, you were, wait, one cow was enough for, for a, a whole week. Fuck. Fucking massive. How many people would that feed? We do, we do, I mean, we're doing um, 600, 600 covers a day sort of thing. It's really fucking big. Fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Because because it's massive. Because fucking how big. It's huge. As far as they are, yeah. But the thing is, you can't get to choose. You can't say to people, all right, we go oh, get a sirloin. I haven't got any, you know. We've yeah, yeah. used that up. Yeah. And that, when we moved to the city, that was the issue because they, they were like, no, I want a sirloin. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we had to buy like a quarter of a cow. But you just feed it to people in a way that that's your... So that that whole company... So that was super... That was That was the exciting bit about temper for me. You know, that and the sort of vibiness for it. Really about coming up with the the menus and all that and the different foods within it, which was really exciting. But 
or how to cook a steak. It was like, how do we do this? You know, I am brewing a cocktail is always a great thing. Yeah, super good. <laughs> super good. I, yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed that bar far, far, far too much. <laughs> And I enjoyed the mezcal far too much. But it was just a, it was a super fun thing. But it was also, there was a story behind it that people just didn't pick up on. They didn't really pick up on that. Um, it just wasn't, wasn't a reason why people went there. You know, we'd get a yeah. few sort of ethical vegans that would eat the meat because they were just, because then they got that. We actually did, we did a shoot with them. And one of them was like, I'm going to have some because this is, you know, the story and they'd see the cow in the back. I showed them a picture of the cow in a field. You know, yeah. that's, that's what that is. Yeah, and that, yeah. this is their life and this is how they've lived. And this is how I know it. And this is what they've been fed. And the, the one thing that doesn't come through, this whole, I mean, the British farming industry is really fucking good. You know, what we have in this, in this country is, is super low amounts of methane. You know, if you look at, I put a graph on the internet, the methane levels are now down at almost zero um, in this country. So that that whole sort of vegan argument of, oh, it's all about the meat. We don't have it because we, we do grass-fed farming. So it's all part of the ecosystem of, of farming in this country. You know, that's that's what it's always been. We have grass. We, we, have, we are the originators in this sort of level of farming. We're the good ones. And... So I suppose most of the info that's out there is based on the US. Based on the, based on the US or yeah. Australia or something, which is all transportation. And that's all a fucking mess. And I get that. But one the one thing that I worried about going into the vegan thing was that I'd miss that that thing. It would look like I was sort of anti what we do here, which I'm yeah, not. Yeah. Um I think there's I think that the the rhetoric in this sort of vegan or not is such it's like anything now. It's all one side or the other. There's no middle ground to anything. And and we should really be attacking bad agriculture. That's the evil. You know, you take the ethics aside, whether or not you think killing animals is good or bad or whatever, you know, whether or not you think that's the right thing for us to do or we shouldn't use animals, we shouldn't use dairy, whatever. You know, that, that's a side argument, which is level. But within the environmental structure, it's bad agriculture is the enemy. You know, the way that monocultures, the way we're destroying soil, maybe we're, you know, the way that America has animals in an area which they shouldn't have animals mm -hmm. it's like trying to grow red wine in scotland it's not going to happen you know the amount of you know if you're trying to grow avocados in aberdeen you know the amount of natural resources you'd have to use to make that and land you'd need would just you know, and that's kind of what's happening over there and that's why they've got the hormones and all this thing and that's where the, all the evil comes from and australia is one of the worst as well it supplies a lot of stuff to china because america will America couldn't supply China, so we went to Australia. Just this big crops of land. Australia is not good for cattle. It's a fucking desert, desert. <laughs> you know. So the amount of water used for that and all those things. So that's fucking terrible. But that in the whole vegan or non-vegan thing, that that argument gets lost. You know that that argument that we should be fighting, that we should be really all over these guys about how you should grow any crop. Yeah. How you should how you should not cook and make enough avocados to supply the entire westernized hipster culture of eating avocado and toast, you know, and destroy land in doing that. You know, yeah. that, that, this is a conversation we should be having, but we're not because we're just talking about this, oh, it's bad to eat meat or it's good to eat meat. It yeah. doesn't, doesn't, you know, that's not, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not useful. It's not progressive in this whole environmental campaign to, to have that. Because in actual fact, if you look at Britain as a source, if you cut ourselves off from the rest of the world, 
our only way, I think, to supply our our domestic culture with our domestic population, we think we'd need animal agriculture because we don't have enough of the rest of the things. So we're going to have to import from other places, and you should be looking at more in that benefit, you know. And all we're going to do is kill an industry, which then we're just going to be now importing stuff from America from all the bad shit. That's all that's going to happen. You're going to kill an industry that's doing a good job and doing the right thing. And then all we're going to be left with is the shit from America, and from which we're going to get in and the whole thing's fucked. Because that's not going to stop. You know, so that's yeah, not going to yeah, yeah, yeah. stop. Not going to stop. And it's not going to stop if we then go across to these big... Pea, pea protein farms that fucking James Cameron's promoting and spending billions on, which is just all about monocultured fucking soil and, you know, this, this whole sort of soy and everything, which a lot of it goes towards cattle in the, the US. Yeah, that's, that's an unarguable fact, but um, people are growing stuff for supplying the entire world, you know, and they're growing it and not putting back into the soil. So it's just, the soil's just getting raped. You know, you've got probably about 30, 40 years of soil in a lot of the world, which we're then going to be left with nothing. So then we're going to be looking at going to labs and, you know, that sort of future thing where you're just eating a pill and, and that that scene in, was it Blade Runner, the new Blade Runners at the beginning? That's that's the fucking future. That That weird bug protein thing that we're harvesting that we're eating if that's what you want that's great or you can focus on at the moment balancing it out and yeah. getting rid of the bad shit that's destroying the soil and looking at that as the the main thing we should be doing right now and not having this stupid argument over whether you're vegan or not vegan or thing you know that's it's part of it and veganism helps in a long way but i'd just rather the the, the argument was about agriculture and bad agriculture and because that's the fucking enemy, whether or not it's in your fucking Beyond Meat burger or it's in a normal burger, you know, if it's not doing the soil any good and it's raping the environment, yeah. and you know, I mean, you look at the the, the almond milk industry. It's like then this thing came out about it being really terrible for the whole bee population and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, it's not fucking. You can't all drink almond milk, <laughs> you know. It's like it's like it's not a choice of you know. Do you have dairy? You know, you're living in you're living in Suffolk, and where you have free roaming raining cattle and dairy cattle that that are super fucking happy and lively, and you're ignoring that milk, but yet you're 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 having almond milk that's getting made in California shipped over. Fucking insane that you think that that's a better. Thing for the environment, it just doesn't make sense. Um, overconsumption of things that you can't grow around the world. Which is why the burger I'm doing is mainly mushroom based, which you can pretty much grow mushrooms anywhere in the world. Which is, I think, that yeah, I've, I've had flats that have grown them before. Yeah, it's <laughs> not all of them you should put into a burger. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in generally, like like stuff like that um, is good. You know, you sh- we should be looking at. What is nutrition and what is what is good nutrition that you can feed everybody with? And that will, yeah, we shouldn't eat a lot of animals. We shouldn't have that. But that does probably in a lot of places contain some animal proteins and, and things like that that should be well raised and part of the soil structure and part of the whole, if you take, as I was saying, if you take like a, like a, like a block of land and you have all this sort of farmland on it, the, the, the cow field is only this little tiny bit, but... 
a lot of the manure and the product from that goes towards the, back into the you know, the back into the yeah. soil and, and the structure. But you take that away, what have you got to do? So you've got to do vegan mulch, which would mean you've almost got the second size of field. So you've got to basically make mm. loads of vegetables, then kill it, and then use that into the soil, and then do that a few times around before you regrow it, which is how you would do it without animals, I would assume. And that's going to use the same amount of extra land which you can't use the cow cattle land because that Too land small. isn't well it's not the right the land of cattle and sheep are not grown in land that you can have oh, arable farming okay on. yeah yeah so that's just wasted land that you're not doing anything on um so the whole argument about extra it just doesn't make any sense you know it's just all about fucking balance and being sensible and not having a hissy fit and going one way in any sort of extreme way and it's it's mainly about soil and what can we grow and preserving that for the future that should be the argument how many businesses have you got now um well there's three tempers which um i'm just a shareholder i mean i'm director stuff i mean there's a lot of people involved in it um simplicity burger and then we're so our plan now is to open up and part of this group called the pepper collective and we're the idea is sort of like partnership with talent and people that we find interesting and do interesting projects with them which is super interesting for me as someone that, you know, wants to get into their heads and and learn from them as much as they learn from us. Yeah. What sort of things are you looking at? So we're um, so doing this thing with Gizzy Erskine. Um, so she wants to do this filth burger thing. So she's a really good friend of mine. A nightmare, but she's lovely. Um, <laughs> she's sick at the moment. She's just posting Instagram stories. Oh, I'm so sick. Um, but that'll be fun. You know, and she's got really good products. She's super marketable. Her her business partner, Rosemary's really good at nutrition. And it'd just be fun, like, getting into their heads and, and doing stuff with them. And also them, sort of our restaurant experience. My business partner did Nando's. He did, like, 400 restaurants with them and um, Russell Pomodoro and other stuff. So his experience is massive. My experience is mixed. But, you know, in general, I've done some, some cool stuff. And it's just going to be fun just doing these things and coming in. And we're, our idea of this is that we're going to have this sort of like um, backline of like HR and um, finance and, and legals and stuff like that. Things that when you're starting out in a restaurant, really expensive, yeah, yeah. you know, it's expensive to open, open a business and have that. But because restaurants now are super expensive, no matter what they are, you need it. So our idea is to create this back team, this sort of like team of this sort of back office staff, and then we partnership with them, so we spread that amongst the amongst the different businesses, so that we don't necessarily have to do fifty restaurants with you to make that financially successful. You know, we can just do one, um, and you can just be part of a portfolio that that just pulls from this. That's interesting. So you know, you can be one guy that just wants to open up a pub, or you can be someone that wants to open up. We've got one guy that wants to open up oyster bars, and we do that. You can have um, Gizzy that wants to do something on quite a big scale. But yeah, we can treat these people as a thing, but not, you know, not force a multiple out of people that don't want that. Some people do it, you know, some people it, it suits them to do that, but not every concept is good to do multiples of. Yeah, that's true. You know, I was speaking to the guy from Meat Liquor today that, um, and I loved Meat Liquor and I still like it. I still love it. But there's, 
there's a there's a there's a sense of me that just misses like the first one when yeah, it was there. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? It's like you know when it was just that, and it was like oh, it was so secret, and yeah. you had to queue up for ages, and you had that magic. And I understand the path that they've gone on. And Scott's a clever guy, and he knew that there was there was money to be made in it. But as a as a customer, it's like I yeah, prefer yeah. that. And I think a lot of chefs that are super creative don't want that um, that sort of like you know they want to keep it special. You know, and London's a big place. So if you have something that's super special, like 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 temper, like the first temper is like still busy because London's massive. So as soon as people get bored of it, you've got more people liking it because it's that it's that individual thing. If you had a hundred of them in London, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you know what, yeah. well, you know, oh, I've been there. You know, I always say I spend ninety percent of my time talking about painting and ten percent actually painting. Mm. Like uh, how much how much now is is it kind of business time as opposed to doing what you actually love and, and actually cooking? Well, now my, 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 my title is now creative. So um, I enjoy doing what I do, which is business thing. I think when I had a sort of bad experience last year, mental health wise, which was because I was just in a place that didn't, I didn't fit, you know, I'm being forced into this sort of operator role, right. which wasn't my skill set. It was never my skill set. And so the demands on me were things that I, I just, I had no idea about, you know, like fix this. I'm like, oh, I know. I'm a fucking chef, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit unhinged chef that comes up with idea after idea after idea. That's where I'm best placed, yeah. not sat in a board meeting talking about numbers and things like that. It's like, it's like, come to me when you need something. It's whatever, you know? But pushed into that role that was just just pranging me out, you know, and I had to take some time off and get out of it and then came back and it was actually a friend of mine who runs Dishum actually. He just talked to me and he was like he was like, just do what you're good at. <laughs> I mean, just do what you, you're good at, which is coming up with new things. Um, and then you found your mental health just straight away was Yeah, well what I mean mental health is all about disproportionate amount of you know, your capabilities, your your demands outweigh your capabilities that's mm. all it is it's a fucking bell curve you know it's like when you're at that peak and you're you're capable of dealing with everything that's on your on your sheet everything that's on your to-do list then you're fine you're driven you know if you've got nothing on that then you're 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 just as mentally ill yeah. and if you push yourself over that limit so that you've got all these things that you can't possibly get through that's when it prangs you out that's when i think it's not it's not a mystery you know once you get a grip of it you just go i'm just in the wrong place and restaurants are prone to that because it's so hard you know you can be you know if it's everything's going well and everything's going rosy and everybody's making money and everybody's saying nice things about you and you're getting observer food monthly awards and shit like that it's like oh wow this is amazing this is great as soon as one thing goes wrong it's so much to fix you know and you can you can be the model for opening restaurants especially big restaurants, it's like, you know, you you can have a great menu and a great team and have great intentions and it just not work. And I've seen that time and time again with people and I just know it must be fucking devastating for them. Or it can work for a while and then not work, you know. And that's the devastating place to be in because you just don't know what you're doing, you know. Like there's a couple of really high-profile restaurants recently that... Uh, don't work anymore and when they opened I was like I just phoned the chef and I was like just you know be careful you know because you see this and he was like he was self-aware of it he's like yeah I know you know I know this has got a limited time span it's it's all it's it's built on 
excitement and hype and whatever. It's not actually the actual business itself isn't sustainable by itself. It's too big. It's not it's not the right thing. It's not the right position. It's not anything. And that that battle to try and achieve the un, unachievable without the skill set, you know, without I'm not an operator. I'm not an operations guy. That's their job, you know. Um that's what they do. You know, I just come up with menus. I can't you can't fix it with a menu and a vibe and just putting on a new fucking playlist in a restaurant. That's not you know, and that that's kind of where I was at. You know, they were like, well, just come up with a new dish. I was like, this is not gonna do it. You know what I mean? I can keep on coming up with new new dishes and do that, but that that won't fix it. Um and you were at that point and I just yeah, I I I'd lost it a little. Um but then pulled it back just by reassessing and going, well, you know, A, my life needs to be about not just doing one thing because that's, it's like, restaurants like a relationship, you know, they, they rarely last. So they have a timeline unless you really fucking nurture them. And it's a really special thing. You know, there are people who get married for, you know, married for 40 years. It's rare. And it's the same in the restaurant view. So if your entire life is weighed and balanced on, and your mental health is balanced on something which is so, you know, easy to get wrong or to go wrong or to, to fail or to think, you know, you, you're, you're just, you know, you, you've you got lots of eggs in a really shitty basket, you know, carrying them around. And that that's your life. So I needed to, so it's like, it's like, like if you if I gave you a million pounds and you went to an investor and they said, Oh, just stick it all in Tesco's. You know, it's like a fucking stupid thing to do. You would never do it. Yeah. You know, because that that that's you would spread bet. You would go, Okay, we'll put a little bit there. Yeah. A little bit in these guys, and you would diversify industries and do it all to safeguard this money growing it. That's how you should do your life. What I was doing was doing the fucking everything on Tesco's. Well not Tesco's, but you know, yeah. everything on me, everything on an idea. This is my idea. And I would do repetitively just do one fucking thing and go, this is everything and put everything into it. Whereas the smart money is to say, okay, well, let's just do this inside and do this. And, you know, it doesn't need to be another restaurant. It can be another career thing. It can be another, it can be a relationship. It can be a hobby. It can be whatever. It's just to spread your overall mental state out into another things that just gives you a bit more, a bit more grounding so that one thing drops, you've still got, Everything else, yeah. You've still got everything else there, you know? Whereas if you're just on one thing and, and that's it, um, that's where that's where people make a mistake. That's where people that have, you could create boxing and then you don't have anything. You know, when that stops, these guys prang out. You're in the army, everything is about going for this one thing and, and, and then that gets taken away from you, you break your leg, you do whatever, you know? You think, and you don't have that. But... The people that are sportsmen that then go on to do present presentation, they're like TV presenting or have a hobby or a charity or something or a business on the side to do something or training or whatever, you know, you're much better placed yeah. to, to cope with the inevitability that some things fail. And I think I just didn't have a grasp on that. I was just like, ah, <laughs> this will be fucking great. And this will be amazing. And then when it doesn't happen, you're like, shit, again. I'm doing that constantly in my life, just... Kept on rather than just going, hey, have a few things. And it's, yeah, okay, that, that, that thing didn't work out, but I've got this and I've got this and I'm looking at this. So that's that's my new outlook on how to avoid pranging out again. Love it. Um, what's the biggest thing you've learned in your, in your career? I think that. Yeah. I think that. It's like, don't, don't, 
Don't put it all in one basket. Don't bet it all in black. Don't bet everything in black because you can win. You can you can come out of it, but you need diversity in your portfolio of life, not just investments, but in everything you do. You need, and you can have a family. You know, it can be that. It can be as simple as just having other people in your life that are there. You know, I don't have that. You know, I was not a very good husband, um, and and that that whole. Thing it can be a family, it can be a charity, it can be a hobby. You know your hobbies are fucking important. Your your things that so when one thing drops, you've got something. You've got you've got you've got a life that's constructive. It's not just focused on one thing, which is dangerous. And that's how you should. That's how I should live my life. That's how I want to do it from now on. And I just trying to get these things, which is why I'm starting music again and. And bringing that back into my life because I'd kind of given that away and I've lost a lot of good friends that have just gone, no, it's all about my career. It's all about this. It's all about this thing. And that's super dangerous. You know, you need balance in everything, especially in your life. Definitely. Uh, Where can people find you online? Um, They can find my, yeah, Frontline Chef on Instagram, which is basically everything on there. But be be, be warned, it's not. (laughs) there's not much food pictures on there anymore it's mainly just me ranting like I have done to you for the past hour or whatever amazing (laughs) love it cheers dude thanks so much thanks so much for listening if you get any value from these episodes it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it you can always reach out to us on Instagram at rebelscreate or head over to creativerebels.co and remember always be creating See ya.